Thanks so much for your company once more on the A-League's official podcast. Daniel Garb here with you alongside Amy Chapman. Unfortunately, Robbie Cornthwaite is not with us this week. He was scheduled to be, but I'm sure everyone understands these situations. Uh, he does a lot of work at Channel 7 and they've had COVID cases, so he got called into work at the last moment. So he apologises profusely. He's left a few notes for us. Um, we'll miss Robbie, but uh, Chappers, no doubt, can fill the void with the plum. Good to see you, Amy. You too, Garby, and great to catch you on the weekend. Um, and a lot of football to talk about and even more national team stuff coming up. Well, certainly. A couple of cracking guests coming up on the show. We're going to go to Dubai to speak to Remy Simpson in the Matildas camp. So an awesome preview ahead of the start of the Asian Cup on Friday. Remy is obviously a great chat because she can talk to the A-League women's as well. And she is one of my favourite people in Australian football to chat to. Uh, despite her youth, she is so enlightening. So you'll enjoy that. And then a really good interview coming up with Adrian Mariapa, who I think all football fans um, will enjoy listening to because, I mean, his Premier League record, I think it's been overlooked really when you think about the recruit that he is for the A-League. And he has got some awesome Premier League yarns. Former team at Miller Yedinak, played under some big coaches. So he's got... Uh, you know, a fair insight on Ante Milicic as well and what he might be able to do in the future. It's a really good listen, Adrian Mariapa, that is for sure. And I think all football fans will uh, will certainly gravitate to that. So uh, make sure you lis- wait for that one and listen out to it closely at the, uh, the back end of the show. But we'll start with Chappie's Chirp before we analyse all that transpired in the A-League men's and women's over the weekend, Amy. Yep, thank you, Garby, and it's becoming a bit of a, a fortnightly thing now with the Chappies Chirps, which we don't mind. I've got two this weekend, Garby, and, and one is close to you, really, and I want to talk about just opportunistic things that fall to you. So a bit of a Johnny-on-the-spot moment for you over the weekend, and I was there to witness this, but this might be a great question for the listeners as well to, to pop on Twitter potentially around, when have you been somewhere and then got the last-minute call-up? Because on the weekend... Garvey was there to do his Neds call up. A little bit of chaos with one of the commentators unable to, to do the work for the Wellington Brisbane Royal women's game. And guess who stood up? <laughs> Daniel Garb. And super job to you. I watched the game, Garvey. You had about 30 minutes to prepare. Um, and credit to the broadcasting, to Channel 10 for shuffling things around. They're making it work. COVID's not just hurting the players and clubs yeah. here. It's every angle, but... How'd you feel getting the, the last-minute call-up, Garvey? It was pretty bizarre. I felt sorry for, for Glenn Lauder, who unfortunately um, was unable to do the game, received a positive rapid literally an hour and a half before he was set to commentate a game. And I was just there, and so I, I got called in to do it. So, look, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, half an hour, 45 minutes to to go through it all, which which wasn't easy. But Grace Gill is fantastic in co-coms, and you came through, Amy, and gave me some last-minute insights too because when you do commentate games, and I've done a few, you, you put a lot of preparation in. There's a lot of notes. So it's not easy to just do, do a game on, on the spot, but um, it was a lot of fun. Thankfully, it was a brilliant game. Um, Wellington are just adding so much to the A-League women's. That made it a lot easier. So, yeah, we're all just going through this at the moment, really, and, and everyone's being affected in so many different walks of life, and that was a bizarre moment on the weekend, but, uh, but certainly a fun one. All right, your second Chappies Chirp. Yeah, um, a second Chappies Chirp, obviously wanting to talk national team football here. We've got the Socceroos returning in the coming weeks and, of course, Matilda's heading into the Asian Cup. We've got a great chat with Remy Simpson, but um, I just want to bring the Matildas back into light. We've got a couple of games coming up in prime time. We've had them recently out here uh, in our backyard, which is fantastic, a couple of games with record crowds. 
first couple of games, I believe, are at prime time, 8.30 on a Friday. I think there is one midnight one in there, but um, lock this in for Friday night, everyone, round one. And there is a bit of pressure on the Matildas. They want to be successful. They, they talk about trying things in these friendly games, but when it comes to tournament mode, this the pressure's on Tony a little bit. He's got a fully fit squad, aside from a long-term injury perhaps to Chloe Legazzo. Pretty much has everyone else to choose from. Brought in some young guns from from the women's A League who've been in form, and that's what the, that's what the people and the fans are crying for. Let's let's not select players on reputation. Let's select them on form, and that's what the Liberty League allows. When there is no league on, he has to go off these reputations. So, really excited to see them come back in. And of course, they're they're playing the first few games. We've got Thailand, ninety fourth ranked Indonesia. I think if I had to pick. Maybe the easiest of the three, you would pick that one. Yeah. But, Garby, a tiny little bit of investment, a tiny bit of time into some of these Southeast Asian teams, this could be a totally different team within two years from what we've seen two years later. So yeah. I think a little bit of investment has a huge impact as we see the likes of Philippines bringing in Stadge. And, Garby, from what I'm hearing, He's, he's, he's gone around the world. He's gone to the top leagues to see who has Filipino background. Right. So I don't think it will be a team that we expect. And you can understand that Alan Stajic would love nothing more than to get one over the Matildas. So, I mean, he's going to have that team fired up enormously. It, it looms as a massive contest. Um, Chappie, the chirp is sometimes about making some big calls. So I'm putting you on the spot. Where do the Matildas finish at the end of this Asian Cup? They win it, Garby. For me, they win it. I think they've had a fully fit uh, squad. There is, to be honest, the highest ranked Asian team is North Korea. They're 10th in the world. They are not playing in this tournament. Um, So it really is up to Australia and Japan who are ranked 11th and 13th. And I know we take rankings with a grain of salt because we've seen the Matildas lose to, to Ireland recently as well. But totally different. Fully fit starting 11. A good mixture of youth and experience. Uh, and actually a good run uh, because they don't meet Japan until the final. Uh, they may come up against Korea slightly earlier than that. But um, for me, they'll definitely make the final. Look, and I'm very, you know, I'm a believer, but um, they'll make the final and I think they can win it. I think they can get on. It's a new transition team for Japan yep. as well. So new faces, um, I'm backing them. Well, let's hope that's the case. Um, we've got a full review of the weekend, of course. We're going to also do some Socceroos bolters. That's another big um, talking point come the end of this week, along with the Matildas, uh, the Socceroos squad gets announced for those clashes with Vietnam and uh, China. So we're going to talk through maybe some of the surprise names that might emerge later on in the show as well. And the last four games in the A-League men's, can you believe it, have all been draws. The Perth Glory play their first game in six weeks on Wednesday. It's just such a, a, an awkward time. So it's great to have these national team moments uh, along with it to, to punctuate the Australian football calendar. That's going to get us going in a big way. And then the A-League games come back to a normality, you would think, on the weekends uh, across the men's and the women's. But let's go inside Cap Matilda before we do anything else. Here's Simpson against Brewer. She's found her way through. That's a really costly giveaway because Sydney FC have made it 2-0. Remy Simpson picks out the corner, kisses the badge and says, how good is this? Yeah, we go all the way to Dubai on the A-League's official podcast because Remy Simpson has been good enough to join us from the Matildas camp on a day where she's getting ready to fly to India for the Asian Cup. Rem, thanks so much for joining us. Just talk us through your emotions right now. I mean, 
by tonight, you'll be in India and you won't be far off getting ready for the first game of the Asian Cup. So you, you must be absolutely pumped. I'm so excited. I can't wait to be heading to India. And obviously, it's a huge honor to make my first major tournament with this squad. And it's been a great pre-camp here in Dubai. We've been put through our paces, but the girls are looking really good. And I just can't wait to get over to India and finally get into game one. And what's it been like, Remy, just reuniting with some of these girls? Obviously, you're coming from all over the world. You're meeting in Dubai. Um, tell us a little bit about this, this pre-camp. Yeah, it's been really good. Obviously, everyone's been in their clubs uh, environments for, for a while now, and some girls have had some breaks. So it's been really nice to get back together as a group. And obviously, I have some familiar faces in the likes of Caitlin Ford, Alana Kennedy, girls that I've played with before with Sydney FC. So it's really nice to reconnect with them again. And obviously, with some new faces of Holly McNamara and Courtney joining our squad of 23, it's really exciting for them. And I've worked with Courtney all season so far, and I'm very, very happy for her. So it's been a really hard week of training and preparation, but we're all looking really fit and fiery, and we're all really looking forward to, like I said, that game one. You've done more than work with Courtney Vine. You two are pretty much invincible at at A-League women's (laughs) level. You must be relishing maybe a bit of a a link up on the pitch together at some stage, considering the uh, the synergy you have? Yeah, that would be the dream. We both have uh, joked about it, that we would love to maybe assist or score a goal helping each other out like we do in the A-League women's. We just really love working together and we're obviously really good friends off the pitch. And I think that really is evident when we play on the pitch. So yeah, I'm very happy for Court to be joining us in the 23 and I'm excited to work with her again, but even at a higher level in the green and gold. So it's a very special moment for the both of us. And just sticking with the A-League women, obviously, did, did you manage to watch your team play on the weekend? Give us your thoughts. Obviously, you guys are in fine form and lots of questions on where do the goals come from when you guys come. Was that a little bit hurtful to see that they actually did really well without you or <laughs> you're just super excited? Definitely not hurtful. We were so happy for the girls and obviously a 6-0 win is just credit to the girls and their performance and obviously all the hard work that we've put in in pre-season at Sydney FC and it just goes to show that anyone in our team can step up and do the job well and I was very happy for Corte to get her first hat-trick in the A-League women's and she did such a great job up top so I was very happy for her as well as the rest of the team obviously there was a number of goal scorers so yeah it was a pleasure to watch and Corte and I were watching from separate rooms but texting each other all the time and I actually think she was a bit ahead of me so she was cheering before I even saw the goals were happening. So I was getting the inside scoop from court. But, yeah, we were very excited to watch. And like I said, it, we're very proud of our Sydney FC girls. And, yeah, we are very happy for them to continue that undefeated run. Great stuff. So Matilda's start their Asian Cup campaign on Friday night against Indonesia. Then it's Alan Stachich's Philippines in the second game, which will be interesting on the Monday night, and then the Friday after that, it is Thailand to round out the group stages. Um, so much interest in the Matildas, of course, Remy. So what's been the main focus in the pre-camp under Tony? What has he really tried to hone in on with the group? We've been working a lot on our attacking and defensive play, and he just wants us to play with belief. And I think that's been really instilled since day one. And we want to go into this tournament to win. So we've been preparing to win this tournament and we want to go in all guns blazing when it comes to the first game of the Asian Cup and we want to win every game that we we play in. So uh, we've had some pretty hard preparations and uh, very good ones at that. And I think we definitely have the depth in the squad to go all the way. And yeah, I have full belief and confidence in the girls around us to hopefully we'll be lifting that trophy at the come the end of the tournament. 
And for Remy, you this is probably the biggest at the senior level tournament that you've been in and probably a great opportunity for young strikers, particularly in these early games. You'll get a lot of ball, you'll get a lot of opportunities. How confident are you taking that next step at that next level? And where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a nine, as a winger? Where, where do you picture yourself in here? Yeah, this is thankfully my a couple of camps in for myself. So I've had a little bit of a taste prior to this and obviously made my debut back home in Sydney. So I, I really want to get some more minutes in myself and being around the girls in this environment, it's definitely a level above and it's just something that when you get a taste for it, you're left wanting more. So I really hope that I can get the opportunity to play some minutes in this tournament and make a huge impact. And I definitely see myself more as a nine than I do as a winger. So hopefully I can be an outlet up top and help the team in any way that I can. In saying that, Remy, how difficult is it then when you know that Sam Kerr is obviously the, the main player in the team and, and then Mary Fowler's coming through? So how do you manage things in your own mind, if you like, when you may not get as many opportunities as, as you would want? Do you put pressure on yourself to really take them when you get that opportunity off the bench? How do you factor it in your own mind? I'm just really happy to be in this environment and be learning off the players like Sam Kerr and and the high-caliber class that we have here and I just want to take every opportunity that I'm given and just give it 110% no matter what time I'm given on the pitch, whether that's being a supportive person off the bench or being an impact player off the bench. I just want to play the best football that I can and, yeah, give some form of impact and help the team in any way that I can. So I think being in this environment has really developed me as a player both on and off the pitch and I absolutely love being in this environment and learning off each of the players as well as the coaching staff. So when I'm given that opportunity, I won't be taking it lightly. And I just want to, like I said, work really hard for the squad and the team in any way that I can. And yeah, if that means being an outlet up top or hopefully trying to get some goals, then I hope I can really, really do that to help the squad in any way that I can. And Remy, as you're looking at this tournament, obviously you're trying to take game by game, but there's a lot of pressure on the Matildas to succeed and there's an expectation that they succeed in Asia. Um, what do you feel like the message is it across? Is, it, is the message we're going all the way, we're winning this, or is it game by game? We definitely know that the opponents that we won't take lightly and it's obviously going to be a difficult contest each, each game, but uh, the group does have a belief that we can go all the way and I think that's super important, especially because we have the quality that we can go all the way and obviously the girls were very successful in the Olympics and fell one short from meddling. So we just want to really go out there and come home with that trophy and I, I have full confidence in the group and we have had some great preparations and yeah, I think we have the, the quality to hopefully lift that silver at the end of the tournament. That'd be awesome. The nation's fully behind you, of course. If there has been one talking point around the Matildas in the last couple of years, it's the defensive part of the game, which maybe has been exposed at times. You mentioned that Tony has been working on that. What's he done in particular to try and shore that up so that you can go on and, and win this tournament? We have really quality players at the back and we've just been working a lot on our defensive structure and how we want to transition our game from a defensive to an attacking mindset, especially when we win the ball in our own half. So I think we definitely have uh, worked really hard in both attack and defence and I think all over we've really improved and we've really set a focus that as a team we have to win these games and uh, yeah, like I said, I have full confidence in the whole squad and the depth that we have and our defence line is stronger than ever and I'm really looking forward to seeing them out on the pitch come game one. Fantastic. And from what we can see, Remy, in a pretty decent hotel room in Dubai, which is no surprise for that part of the world. Give us some insight into hotel life with the Matildas because those places you stay in in Dubai, they're pretty plush. 
Yeah, we've been very blessed to be in the, the place that we are. It's pretty nice. There's uh, One side is desert, the other side is a resort. So it's pretty polar opposite, but we're very lucky to be in a really nice hotel and we've been very well accommodated. So hopefully that gives us good preparation leading into India and uh, we've really enjoyed our time here in Dubai, especially with the humidity. So it's been really nice. Who's causing havoc in the hotel? Come on, who in the squad's... Leading the way, who's the joker? Who's the prankster? Who has the most fun? Give us those insights, please. I have to say that a lot of the girls are a lot of characters. I, I'm often left laughing my head off with a lot of the girls and uh, I, I seem to be getting along really well with Alana Kennedy. I find her really funny, so I'm going to have to put her up for one of the best characters in the team. So she's uh, she's got a lot of good jokes and, yeah, she's often leaving me in stitches. So, yeah, Lance is up there for sure. And on that, Remy, obviously there's a lot of characters. Sam Kerr is a real character, you know, off the, off the field as well, and she's such a talent. But aside from Sam, who, who do you look up to? Who do you sort of try and mimic what they're doing just to take your game to that next level? Yeah, obviously it's hard to look past Sam, especially we play the same position, and she's definitely someone I look up to. But for a long time and my first, the first female football I really did look up to and tried to mimic my game off was Caitlin Ford. So... I find myself uh, watching her in awe at training and trying to learn as much as I can off her, off of her and uh, being around her in this environment. I obviously played with her at Sydney. It's really nice to reconnect in this national team environment. And she's uh, just a, a quality player. Her one-on-one ability is second to none. And, yeah, it's something that I really aspire to be like, both uh, like her as a player but as well as a person. She's just a good human. So, yeah, she's, she's definitely one person that I really uh, looked up to. So it's really nice to reconnect with her. Well said, Remy. Always love talking football with you. You're always so uh, insightful, entertaining and lively. So uh, we really appreciate it. Um, Sydney FC obviously have got uh, a key player in you, but they're going okay in your absence and you've got something enormous um, ahead of you over the next couple of weeks along with the rest of the Matildas. All the best. and The nation is behind you. Please bring back that trophy for all of us. That'd be great. Thank you so much for having me on and hopefully we can bring back that silverware. Thank you. Yeah, you can understand why I'm such a fan of Remy Simpson and why most people are. She's a lot of fun to talk to. All right, Amy, give us some insight on hotel shenanigans. You've been in those environments plenty of times. So what would it be like for the girls right now? I feel like Remy was giving us a bit, but maybe watering it down a little bit. You've given us some yarns over the journey, but I imagine it is the most enjoyable thing to be in like a hotel room like that, pre-camp with the team, and you're just having so much fun. Yeah, I mean, and they are in a really cool location. Dubai's got some wonderful hotels. They're clearly getting a bit of sunshine. And for those English girls, they're, they're probably desperate for it. Um, <laughs> so, oh, there's so many characters in this team, Garby, and it's hard to come across sometimes because they have taken this next step to professionalism and you, you get you don't quite get the – well, sometimes Sam Kerr gives you a bit of um, natural cheek as well, which we love, but there's, there's full of characters in there. But my understanding this time is they're all in rooms on their own, which is not – not normal. Um, obviously, trying to reduce the impact of COVID and, and whatnot. But um, oh, look, if you give me more time to think of some good <laughs> stories, Garby, I'm sure I'll bring someone for the next pod. Oh, you gave us a story with Kim Carroll when she was on. That was that was pretty good. So um, if you if you're searching for a yarn in that sense, you can go back and listen to that interview because that was pretty entertaining. Let's talk about the two A League men's games that did transpire over the weekend. Adelaide and, and Melbourne City was. A cracker that really livened up in the second half. A two-all draw, missed penalty, red card. It had it all in that second 45 minutes. And, geez, Melbourne City are in an interesting space at the moment, Amy. They've conceded seven goals in their last three games. They only conceded 32 in 26 last season when they won the title. 
an average of 1.23 and seven in their last three. So I've just got a few issues at the back a little bit. I know that all teams are going through disruptions with COVID and, and the fixtures being so disjointed. That doesn't make it easier to bed down in that area of the park, but that might be a bit of a worry for Paddy Casnorbo. Yeah, I think it is a bit of a talking point. Usually they have a really consistent back four, and I'm not sure they have. And I don't think they're playing with the same um, convincing build-up that we're used to seeing. Um, but I do, I do think that was Leckie's best game. He had yeah. the best moments. He That was a super assist. Probably could have got on the score sheet himself. So I love that Paddy Kiznobo really backed him pre-game and said, no, no, he's you've got to allow him some time. You've got to allow him. He's like an international player. He's been overseas for that long. It's a different game over here. So I think that was a really positive sign. And to see Naboot and Leckie combining, which to be fair, we never really see them on the pitch at the same time for the Socceroos. But, um, you know, that that is a promising sign. But for me, Garby, I don't think there's been a single game that Adelaide have just not been completely in it. Like, sorry, they are always in it for me. Like, I just feel like they are the best fighters, if, for lack of a better word. Um, yeah, I just always find them so entertaining to watch because it, I don't think they're ever an easy beat, no matter who they're coming up against. And they do make a meal of some of the easier games. They should win. Yeah. But, geez, they're, they're fighters. Yeah, well, especially at Hindmarsh as well because there's such a, a unique energy inside that ground. So when they play a home game, they are very rarely out of it. The, cr- the crowd is such a big factor for them. And nice to see the new signing, Ibusuki, get a goal late, the equaliser. That was important. Um, Craig Goodwin didn't have his best game, but, you know, he still helps provide the assist for George Blackwood. That's the value of him at the moment. And you're right on Matthew Leckie. Two big assists for him. Um, you know, is he beating his man one-on-one out wide? I'm not sure he's doing that as much as some people would like, but you start to see him now starting to really contribute in that final third. Last week, unlucky not to score. This week, a couple of assists. He's getting up to speed, I think, with the A-League and the expectations and the pressures. And, and that's good for the Socceroos, of course, going into these, these games coming up. So I think the confidence is starting to build. And then the link up with McLaren and boot. Because when they start to get going, I mean, good luck stopping them. And it feels like that they're getting there now. Um, so I think we all feel as though Melbourne City will be fine. But defensively, yeah, a couple of issues. Tommy Glover makes a big penalty save and then another big save late on. But could he have done better with, with the first goal? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, they've got a few worries there that I think uh, Paddy Casnorbo would like to sort out. Um, but Adelaide, yeah, fighting and they've got some excitement there. And, and despite all the disruptions, doing quite well. Um, Sydney and Brisbane was... Not the greatest game of football the A-League men's has ever seen, but I guess the standout from it, the big talking point was Elvis Kamsoba, who is just having such an impact at that club at the moment. And now the Melbourne Victory fans gave him a lot of stick for a couple of seasons. It was a bit of a running joke in the A-League that Kamsoba could never score. He is doing a lot to liven up that team. And in the absence of Lafondra and in the absence of Costa Barbarousas, he is taking it upon himself to drive that side forward and provide the spark. His assist was unbelievable for Adrian Caceres, the way which he beat three players on his own and then played that ball at pace. Top draw. And um, I think we're all really enjoying what, what Elvis is doing. He's in the building in a big way. Yeah, I feel like Cam uh, Sober really copped a hiding uh, on off the back of last season. He, For some reason, he copped the brunt of Melbourne victory because I, I guess a lot of people see the potential in him and... He had a great game. Well, to be fair, I don't think he had a great full 90, but the, the moments that he had in that game were game-changing. And, and you have players like that. Sometimes you see you, you barely see Jamie McLaren touch the ball, but that's how he plays. It's the style he plays. He has big impact moments. And that combination between Caceres and Ken Sober was super. And I think 
it, it's a really noticeable absence when Lafondra's not there for Sydney. They really were kind of lacking that target player, lacking that really, really hungry player. So I think they are really missing him. But, Gabby, I'm just stepping off the field. How much do you think it is making this difficult for coaches to navigate COVID? Because, yes, they're losing players. But for me, and we heard this from Alex Chidiak after the Melbourne Victory game, she's just returned from COVID and the longer-term effects that it's having on some of these players who are expected to be like, yep, you're clear, you're back into training, go play full 90 minutes at an elite level. I think for me, Ryan Grant just starting to show signs of getting back to his normal self. You can see Brisbane have been hit hard. They had to, even I think you mentioned, um, Warren Moon said he had to make a ton of changes because these players haven't trained much. So we've got to allow the quality and the fitness level to build back up again because they've been hit hard. I don't think people fully understand it. You know, they think you're back from COVID, you're on the team sheet, you're right to go. And we don't know because we haven't been in that environment. People have gone through COVID recently and recovered, but then they haven't been asked to play 90 minutes of professional sport. Warren Moon said after the game, I'm a COVID coach at the moment. He said, I made five substitutions in the second half, and so did Steve Corica, by the way. And he said, if people want to criticise that on my tactics, we'll go for it. It's got nothing to do with tactics. I'm trying to get players through a game. And he said, we had you know, a month off where we could barely train. He said a, a number of his players had one or two sessions before that clash against Sydney, and they played a cup game on the Wednesday. So pretty tough on, on them. And I think Brisbane actually, they probably benefited mentally from the time they had off. I mean, they were really struggling. I thought they showed some pretty good signs, had some opportunities late. They seemed to fight really hard. Two games in a week against Sydney, and they took it to them on two occasions. They'll be better for that. Um, they need Juan Lascano to get into some form. Uh, he's come with a big reputation, Liverpool, Real Madrid background. Hasn't really looked at it yet, but Warren Moon also said he, this is basically his preseason. He shouldn't be starting games at the moment, but they've got no choice with the players they've, they've got out and all the disruptions. So he's doing his preseason on the pitch, basically, and he's hoping in a month or so he'll get up to speed and you'll see the best of him. Yeah, agreed. And I think he's finding himself in good areas, but you can tell that final touch is not there. He had one that fell to him within, you know, on the penalty spot and he didn't even get it on target. So you can see the fans and the league getting a little frustrated there, but you've got to allow them some time to build into it. But I thought Mila Iznich had a really good game. Like for These players haven't played in over a month even for Brisbane Raw. I think December 11th was the last time they played, aside from the FFA Cup game, sorry. But Jay O'Shea still... I think when you get him on good areas, he he orchestrates all of Brisbane Raw's play. Uh, Mila Ozanich was busy, and I thought Scott Neville also had a good game. So I think for the first A-League men's game back for Brisbane, I think there's a lot of positives to take out of that. Um, so I think they can go away with their, you know, a lot of confidence going into the next few rounds. Yeah, that can give them some, some op- optimism that they can start moving off the bottom of the table. I thought Scott Neville had a great game. Good point. Yeah. Well said. Um, and to go to Sydney under those circumstances and get a point is not easy. So well done. Um, So with all the postponements, unfortunately, we haven't seen too much of our next guest, despite his big reputation and the excellent signs he showed in his first couple of games with MacArthur. Let's bring him in now. Yeah, since he decided to uh, to make his way to the other side of the world and play with us here in uh, Australia and in the A-Leagues, been pretty keen to get Adrian Mariapa on the A-Leagues official podcast. And I'm delighted to say he's joined us now Adrian, thanks so much for doing so, mate, and uh, and welcome to Australia. I know you've been here for a little while now and played a couple of games, but we get to uh, to welcome you officially, mate. Thank you. Really appreciate the welcome, and uh, yeah, great to be here and great to be on the on the show as well. So thank you for having me. 
how are you finding it? I mean, it's like everyone's pretty used to what's been going on in the last couple of years, but you come here, you start pretty well, and then pretty much gets put on the back burner of the league. So how are you finding adjusting to Australia with all of the other stuff going on? Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's the current state of, of, uh, of how just things are, you know, globally at the moment. So you just try and make the, the best of the situation and, and crack on as best as you can. So, um, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, when I, obviously when I landed straight away, it was in, in the thick of the action. There was, uh, you know, played three games back to back, really enjoyed them. And then, yeah, obviously had the little break now. Um, but yeah, you know, just chomping at a bit to, to get back on the pitch and um, back playing games. Why Australia? And tell us about your initial thoughts when the offer was first presented to you to come and play in, in the A-League. What did you think at that stage? And then how did it all transpire for you to join MacArthur? Um, yeah, I think I was just looking for a new challenge. Um, you know, having played all my career in England, um, you know, I'm very fortunate to do so. Um, I just think I just needed something, you know, a bit different um, and something that still, you know, really pushed me and challenged me. And, you know, as soon as, uh, you know, this came about, it was something that I really, you know, jumped at the opportunity. Um, you know, the family were, were excited as well, you know, obviously a new experience for them. But, you know, more importantly, it was, it was something where, um, like I said, you know, it was about the challenge. You know, I, I knew coming here as well, it wouldn't be, you know, easy. I wouldn't, you know, have the have the flip flops on, and um, you know, I knew that it was going to be, you know, a, t- a testing league, and it has proved that. And um, you know, that's something I'm thankful for as well. Great. Uh, what do you make of the league as a whole? The standard of it. What stands out to you from your first couple of games about what the A League has to offer? Um. I think the the overriding thing I think is um, you know definitely there's a lot of athleticism in the league. Um, you know coming coming here, I knew from speaking to players who've, who've played over here and who are still playing over here that I've played with in England. Um, I knew the standard was going to be high. I knew it was going to be high. I knew it was going to be difficult, and um, so I came in with the right mindset. You know, I, I trained really hard, and I was. I was still playing international football, even though I was out of contract. So I came in, you know, match fit and I'm, you know, thankful for that because I know mm. if I hadn't, it would have been, you know, a real, real tough ask. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's some really good players in the league as well. And, and yeah, just enjoying the, the experience as a whole because it's, it's so different to England, even, you know, just the, you know, the supporters around the place is, you know, it's very different as well. Obviously, the lifestyle and the culture is very different. It's just something I'm just trying to to soak up and, um, you know, really, you know, take note of and, you know, not just let the, the days tip past without without taking it in. Fantastic. Who did you speak to about Australia and, and who did you uh, who did you investigate, if you like, a bit, a bit about the league over here and uh, and discuss with when it came to making your decision? Well, you know, I was lucky enough to play with a few Aussie legends, actually. So I played with, um, you know, Adam Federici and, and Milo Jedinak and, um, you know, both top pros, top guys as well. Um, and Adam LaFondra as well is someone that I've kept in contact with. Um, you know, so when he was, you know, when he initially moved over to, to Australia, um, I was in good contact with him, kept up with how well he was doing over here. And he always said how much he enjoyed it. And obviously he had a stint in India as well, but I know he was chomping to get back to to Australia. So, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, someone who definitely 
um, influenced my my thought process because I'd already, like I said, over the years, kept in good contact with him and knew just how much he was enjoying it. Obviously, moving from the UK, you know, with his family as well. So, um, so yeah, getting some good insight from him. And, you know, I played with Jordan much, a couple of clubs in England. So him being at MacArthur as well, that really helped. He gave me a good a good idea of, you know, what the club is about, what the manager's about as well, yeah. um, you know, the, the philosophies, etc., which obviously, you know, is an important part as well as, as a player as well. So, you know, I wasn't short of people to ask, um, you know, players that had, had played in Australia and moved back to the UK as well, um, you know, Jem Karachan as well. So, yeah. you know, there, there's loads of players, but, um, you know, and obviously it's, it's something that I'm glad I've, I've done. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I thought you'd mentioned Milo Yedinak, and I'm keen to chat with you about him a bit later on. He was obviously a, a standout connection from your time at Palace together. Um, in regards to the manager, Ante Milicic, I mean, he's, he's had a, an excellent upbringing in Australian football as a top player himself, and he's coached all the way through under Ange Postacoglu. He's coached the Matildas. Now he's got his first crack in the A-League, made the finals in his first season. Um, what have you made of him so far? What stands out about Ante as a manager? Um, he's got incredible attention to detail, um, you know, brilliant coach, uh, very methodical in the way that he sets up all his sessions, you know, the whole week, gearing to the way that he wants to play on the weekend. And um, yeah, I've been I've been really impressed. I mean, you know, like I said, I spoke to Jordan much before I came and, you know, he gave me a real in-depth, um, you know, his view on the manager and how, how he really enjoyed... Um, you know his style of football and the way that he trains, etc. And I know much he's a he's a hard hard person to please as well. So um, I, I knew that he had to be uh, had to be good coming in. And you know he's been terrific with me personally. But you know from the the coaching and managerial side, I think um, yeah he's been he's been brilliant. He's someone that even though I've been here a short time. You know I'm trying to learn because um, you know like you just said there, he's got you know wealth of experience coaching and. Um, you know, you can see that in the way that, like I said, he sets up just day to day and his sessions and stuff. And um, yeah, you can really see he's a real top coach. Yeah, great to hear. And let's talk a bit about your story and your career, Adrian. I mean, Premier League football with Watford, Reading, Crystal Palace, and yeah, Watford again for a second stint and plenty of championship games along with that. I mean, it's, a, it's so many years at the top and so many big matches, competitive matches. At such a very high level, you know, we're obviously enamoured with the Premier League here in Australia. It's got a massive following. What stands out for you most of all about your time in the Premier League? Is there a moment? Is there a game? Is there a matchup? Something that when you reflect back on your time there, reverberates in your mind more than anything else? Um, if I could go to one game, honestly, it would probably be uh, the FA Cup final in, in 2019. That would do um, it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say not so much the final, probably the semi-final. That was uh, that was a better occasion, but obviously making the final was, was brilliant. Um, managed to make it on, a, on in 2016 as well, but um, the one in 2019, coming back in the semi-final from two goals down to um, you know to to win and get through to the final was you know it, it was brilliant. It, it definitely was a standout moment for me because. Watford um, was my home club, you know, growing up, eight years old, I, I joined them. So achieving that with them was, you know, massive for me. And, and we had a good season as well. You know, we probably should have finished higher in the league. We finished 11th, but it was, a, you know, a great season for the club. And 
Um, I think that whole, just the whole season in general was um, definitely one of the, the higher points, I'd, I'd say. But saying that, you know, I'm thankful for, you know, for all the, all the experiences I had, you know, I don't really take any of them for granted, even, you know, even the relegations, et cetera, because, you know, they were, you know, they teach you a lot about yourself as a, as a player and as a person as well. So I'd, like I said, I just tried to take in all the experiences and, you know, try to improve on, on the good and, and the tough times. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, you, you played in the FA cup final in, in 2015-16 as well. So two FA cup final appearances and, the runner-up on both occasions. Milay Yedinak led you out in 2015-16. That was a special moment for Australia. You came off the bench against Man United. To make the final with you know, a, a team like Palace is an extraordinary achievement. The same with Watford. And You play United, of course, you're going to be underdogs. Does that still irk you, though? Five years on to go so close, the game goes to extra time. Is that something that still sits deep, not winning that game? Uh, it's definitely something I've looked back and thought about. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um you know, like I came on for five minutes from the end of normal time. And, you know, we were playing really well, playing really well. And then Chris Smalling gets sent off and you're just thinking, you know, you know we can do this. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, Lingard comes off the bench and smashes one in the top corner. Um, so that was a real gut-wrencher that day. Um, I think we all, you know, could definitely feel and smell that it was, it was close. You know, you really thought, is going to be our day. Um, yeah, it, it was a tough one to take. I'm not going to lie. The, the one in 2016 was <laughs> not so close. <laughs> yeah. uh, 2019, yeah. Close, but uh, yeah, the one in 2016 definitely was. It was a hard one to take. But you know, you know, like you said, making the the final was um, you know a big moment for the club and all the players involved. I'm sure. Yeah, unfortunately, in 2019, Man City had their way with you like they do with, with most teams when they play. So there's a, there's no shame in that. Mila Yedinak, so he's your captain for a long period of time at, at Villa, someone who's revered enormously in Australian sport, never mind just football. Um, tell us about what he's like as a leader and what he means to the the Palace family, the club and the supporters. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I, was, uh, I was one of the players who joined on deadline day at Crystal Palace and it was it was crazy. There was like 13 players who joined that day. Um, you know, I, you know, Palace weren't tipped to go up. Um, so there was just, it was just a bit of a crazy time at the club. Um, and one of the things that stuck out, uh, stuck out for me early on was, was Mele. You know, we were, we were on a, you know, few games where, you know, we weren't playing well, we we're getting beat. And, you know, he, he epitomizes a leader to me, you know, he, he leads by example. Um, when he talks, the whole the whole changing room listens. Mm. Um, and, you know, he really, you know, he stands by whatever he says, you know, and, um, you know, he really galvanised all the players that year. There were some really good leaders in the change room as well. I will say that people like Damien Delaney as well and yeah. um, young talent as well. So, but he was at the forefront of that. And, I, you know, for me, I think he's a manager's dream as a captain, really. Like I said, you know, he's someone who could really get control of a changing room and, um, you know, just have them breeding good habits day in, day out. And, you know, that's what you want. Great to hear. Um, we enjoy hearing that stuff about Miller because obviously he means a lot to us. Um, a couple of Premier League goals for you, looking through your records. They, they might be wrong, but I've got it down as two goals, one for Reading and, and one for Palace. Is that accurate in the Premier League? That is accurate, yeah. Okay. I should have had more. I should have had more. I will say that I've missed 
So tell us about those goals. I mean, scoring in the Premier League stage is enormous. So yeah, talk us through them and then, you know, what goes through your mind in the, the second afterwards? Where did you run to celebrate? Indulge with us if you want to, Adrian. Well, the, the Reading one was, um, we were 2-0 down. So I grabbed, a, a, I managed to get a goal from a corner um, against Stoke. Um, and I'd been playing against Peter Crouch all day, so I was <laughs> I was up against it. Just the head and balls had a tin hat on that day. Um, managed to grab a goal. So the first thought really was just get the ball, get back to the centre circle, and you know let's try and grab another one. And to be fair, we we should have had a penalty late on um, Alan Lafondre. There was VAR. We would have had a penalty. Probably could have drew the game. Um, but so that. <laughs> That one weren't so memorable, but the uh, the one I scored for Palace, um, it, you know, it was the first goal of the game. Managed to get up above Breda Hangeland, uh, who's a you know big boy himself. End up playing playing with him as well, top guy. Um, so yeah, I was I was you know you know on a real high. I ran over to the, the corner to celebrate, thinking yeah, you know this is going to be a you know it's a good start to the game for us. And then I don't know if you remember. Um, uh, Kasimi scored an absolute screamer. <laughs> I think yes. he got, I, I, I don't know, I think he won accolades for goal of the season, you know, throughout European football that year. Yeah. yeah. So he banged that one in. And then um, Steve Sidwell banged another uh, world in as well, the top corner, which, yeah, it just killed us. And then we ended up losing 4 1. So. <laughs> Both goals uh, ended up not really meaning anything, but obviously for, for me personally, it's always great to score a goal and to score in the Premier League is, you know, something you dream about as a kid, um, even as a defender. So, yeah, it's etched in my mind, but, um, but yeah, like I said, they, they didn't amount to anything in the end. Great stuff. Um, these questions are, are simple ones, but fans love hearing the answers to them. And this can come from anywhere. It can come from... Championship, Premier League, your time with Jamaica. You played 58 times for the Jamaican national team as well. But the first one, best player you've ever played with? Oh, that is a tough one. Um, played with. I'm going to say uh, just pure ability. Um, I'll probably say um, Gerard Delefeu. Oh, yeah. Probably say. Well. Um, yeah, real top player. Like I said, that that the FA Cup semi final I mentioned there, he came off the bench, scored, um, scored a couple of worldies. He was, you know, very good player. Um, you know, so ability wise, I'd say that, but it's a tough call. I'll be honest, it's a tough call. Um, I always used to say as well, Ashley Young, because I played with him in the youth team, and you know, he nearly got he well, he pretty much did get released um, at one point. Wow. So to go on and achieve what he has done in the game is extraordinary, really. Um, so, And I got to see that firsthand. And, um, you know, I, I took a lot from that as a young kid as well. Fantastic. And best player you've ever played against, and I'll break it down, it, it has to be a one-on-one matchup. So the, the best striker you've matched up against in a game that's caused you more trouble, let's say, than anyone else. Um, I've, I'm just going to say Aguero because... Yeah. <laughs> Scored the most goals against me <laughs> uh, in one game as well. I think he got four in one game against uh, against me. But yeah, he was, you know, something else to play against. Obviously, the whole the whole Man City side was, um, you know, they're just you know so hard to play against. But having him at the you know at the top of the attack as a defender, you know, is real is real tough to play against. 
you could just finish from anywhere, both feet. Um, so yeah, had some real tough games against him. Fantastic. And if you spend 15 years in English football across the Championship and Premier League, I dare say there's a fair few managers that you would have uh, worked under. The best coach slash manager you've ever had? Now that is a tough question. Put me on the spot with that one as well. Um, I'd probably say my most enjoyable season, I'd say Javi Gracia as well. Um, I have played with some, I'm leaving some good names off the list there, by the way, but um, uh, real, but I, I will say him. I had a really good working relationship with him. Um, and yeah, like I said, one of my best seasons personally at Watford and in the Premier League. Um, and yeah, just a real enjoyable time under him. Quality, man. By the end of your time in the A-League, maybe Ante Milicic will, uh, will take that mantle. We'd be happy with that. Um, what are your goals with MacArthur? What would you love to, to achieve? And when you do leave Australia one day, what would you like to be your legacy in this country and in this league? Oh, legacy. I mean, I have not, honestly, I've not thought about, you know, legacy and stuff like that. Um, I'd love to win some silverware of the club. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, obviously there's some big, there's some big clubs in the league. Um, and, you know, but everyone loves an underdog story. And I think we're, we've got a really good squad here, good group of people, you know, real top manager. And I think, you know, we've got the, the makings of, of uh, you know, a team that can really achieve something. So just trying to push forward and, like I said, you know, winning some silverware with the club would be, would be brilliant. Um, and, yeah, I think as far as the legacy, you know, goes for me personally, just to try and, um, you know, keep playing at the, at the level I am for as long as I can. Um, keep trying to enjoy it, keep trying to help the young players where I can and, you know, give any advice or, you know, from my experiences and, um, yeah, and just try and help the, the team achieve as much as we can together. Well said, Adrian. And, yeah, the impact you've had in a couple of games so far before the uh, the COVID influence break has, has certainly been noticeable. And we look forward to watching with interest um, the rest of the season and, uh and the impact you can have on MacArthur and in the A-League. It's going to be a, a pretty cool tale to follow. Thanks so much for joining us and giving, some, giving us some insight on your fantastic career and, and how you've landed up in Australia. We've really appreciated it. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it was great to chat to Adrian Mariapa. Unfortunately, Amy and Robbie weren't available for that one, but uh, he kept us occupied and entertained, that is for sure. Some fantastic Premier League yarns and insights, and great to hear him wax lyrical about our own Mila Yedinak and the impact that he had at Crystal Palace. So, um, yeah, hopefully we get to learn more and more about Adrian Murray Upper. I don't think he's a personality that should be lost on fans in Australian football. So the Perth Glory make their return to action on Wednesday, the first time in six weeks they've played a game. Extraordinary. They take on Brisbane away and, hey, a nice segue from Adrian Mariapa. Hopefully that means Daniel Sturridge is back out there. If not now, Amy, then when? He's had six weeks off, so surely he's ready to go and play more than the five minutes he's stepped out for so far. Yeah, see how he pulls up from the long flight from Perth, obviously, Garvey. <laughs> of course. Um, no, but I think the last time we were talking about Perth, everyone was sort of you know, protesting to try and get them out of hotel quarantine stuck in Brisbane, if I recall. So they do return and are playing Brisbane on Wednesday. Um, And I think it's actually going to be a bit of a silver lining. They've got some time at home with their families, time to get Sturridge out on the training pitch regularly without the pressure of everyone saying, give him more minutes, let's see him. Um, Yeah, let's see if he's built up some fitness or if this is actually a long-term something that they don't want to talk about. Who knows? But um, really excited to see how they bounce back. 
Let's look at the A-League women's action because there was a standout game on Sunday, Wellington against Brisbane, which I was lucky enough to be across. And your heart breaks for Wellington after being 2-0 up and, and coming away from that contest with nothing. But at the same time, the Alyssa Wynnum moment was just unbelievable when she put that ball in the back of the net for only the second goal in the club's history. And, and that expression on her face, Amy, just told you everything about sport. It told you everything about what this team is actually doing. And Gemma Lewis summed it up best. She doesn't realise how good she is. Like her face, it, it summed up a situation as if someone was plucked from the crowd and said, you can go play in this game right now. And then they end up scoring and they're just in utter shock. That's what it looked like on her face. But she's actually a damn good footballer. She was excellent throughout the game. And Gemma Lewis is like, she doesn't realise how good she is. That's why she was so shocked when she scored. But what a moment that was, though. Yeah, and it's 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 unique because usually strikers are full of confidence and they back themselves. But she did. She looked surprised at her own. It was a, it was a quality finish, actually. Needed to, to curl it, you know, far post. But it was probably the most authentic, adorable celebration that I have seen. And that's what's so <laughs> genuine about this league. It's what's so genuine about Wellington. Yeah. Uh, look, Garby, I... I was torn on this one. I, I want Wellington to win a game, probably not against Brisbane. Anybody <laughs> else, then you have my full support, Wellington. I I think they will pinch some points this season. Um, but, yeah, look, they're, they're surprising themselves week in, week out. I just hope that they can stay fit and continue this. But what a moment for the youngster. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then uh, they went 2-0 up through Grace Yale, who's a New Zealand international. So, you know, she's a big player for them. And you watch Brisbane fight back. And Katrina Gorry just led the way. She had that that angry look in her face, didn't she, Chappers? Like, this shouldn't be happening to us. I'm taking charge of this game now. In a few moments, she took it upon herself to lift her team. That through ball for the equaliser was just fantastic. And I always love seeing a player who has a lot more ability than everyone else on the pitch say, all right, I am taking control of this contest. And she did, I thought, in the second half. Yeah. And I mean, we, we can't talk highly enough of Katrina Gorin, how quickly she's gotten back to the level of player she is. She is a class above. I don't think there's a better midfielder in the entire league, but she, she would have set those ex- expectations on herself and she would absolutely have not been happy about being 2-0 down to Wellington, who've only scored one goal all season. So, yeah. but but that through ball was one thing. Garby, that strike she had <laughs> that hit the crossbar, that like that had some serious power behind it. And I mentioned this in the other game when Chidiak got some serious power behind hers. D'Agostino talks about, you know, his size and the power he's got in his legs. It's all about timing and technique for me. These youngsters, these absolutely tiny, diminutive players are seriously hitting balls. So I think that's a great, you know, showing for how um, football is a game for absolutely everyone. Most certainly. Big win for the Melbourne victory. They get back to winning ways. So feels like a bit of a settler for Jeff, Jeff Hopkins and his team. Western Sydney are starting to be, you know, a decent side in this league, coming off that first victory. Um, they, they took it up to, to the victory. What did you make of that one, which was the big contest on Sunday? Yeah, I thought it was going to be a really tight game, and it was. It was certainly a hot one out there. It was 33 degrees, and um, you got had a slow start. But Western Sydney are improving week in, week out, and they had three players returning from COVID protocols, and they did make a difference. The problem for me, Western Sydney, they can't, they can't score. They literally have very little going forward. Um, defensively, they're one of the best. Like they, they really um, do hold teams out, but that's their problem. I don't know how high they can go. They've nailed. So they're even quite good in the midfield. Back four, excellent. But victory, they needed a win. They needed a confidence booster. Alex Chidiak, I thought was a real standout. 
Um, and Zimmerman as well, she had some good moments. So I think Jeff Hopkins will be really relieved. And he had a really thin squad, didn't even have a full bench. So um, you can tell that people are having to adjust and shuffle and uh, they really needed those points. Perth was so plucky against Newcastle. I mean, they stay in the top six. I mean, despite all they've gone through, the coach is not there through COVID. They just churn out a result. They've been so impressive after going winless last season. They deserve a big tick for that one, I think. And I'm sure the Jets will be disappointed to have not got the win at home. Um, Cambry United, what's going on there? Because there's no, no harm in losing to Sydney FC, the way in which they're playing at the moment, even without the likes of Seamson and, and Vine. But to concede that many after the season they've had, it feels as if there's something wrong there. Yeah, and I think it, someone asked me, is, it, is that more of a reflection, 6-0, is that more of a reflection of Sydney's quality or Canberra's maybe lack of? And it's, it is both for me. Sydney are the most dominant team. They create more chances every single game, no matter who they come up against. So they're the team that can regularly score more than five goals. So I think that, that's a tough opposition to come back when you're really looking for points um, or even just to get some confidence. But it, it's a funny thing. P- people talk about Canberra and it's the only team in the league that is a standalone women's uh, club, but they have they have a lot of backing. And I know they're run by the Federation, but they have a lot of backing and they've actually signed a couple of Americans who've played NWSL level. They have Michelle Heyman, they have Ash Sykes, they have Grace Maher. It is just not clicking. So on paper, it's not like, oh, did you do enough preseason? It's just not, they did. They've got a, They've got a top four quality team on paper but they are turning it into super average performances and and they have to be called out a little bit there um no service to michelle Heyman, um no cohesion in any of their play so um it's really tough ask for vicky linton to pull them out of this this hole yeah i mean we gave her a lot of plaudits last season vicky and for the work that she did there and she deserved them and she's got a massive challenge on her hands now to turn things around because you know they're an important part of australian football the nation's capital, um, they represent something unique and uh, they're struggling big time at the moment. So hopefully they can find a way to, uh, to turn things around. So a big moment coming up on Friday, we suspect Vietnam and Oman this on the schedule for the Socceroos and six points is an absolute must. Qatar 2022 in our sights. We don't want to go through the playoffs, but um, we've just got to find a way to get back to winning ways, Graham Arnold and his team. And so the squad is going to be so interesting. Tom Rogic returns. Aaron Moy, you would hope, returns to the squad. Two massive players, of course. But the A-League's now been been going as opposed to his former uh, squad selection. So we're looking at a couple of players that might have jumped up. There aren't too many that, that spring to mind. I'd like to see Craig Goodwin picked. I think his form's been good enough, but it's more that he offers something different. That true out-and-out left winger who... Now, we're playing at home in that first game in, in Melbourne against Vietnam. You're going to have a lot of the ball. Just someone who can stretch the pitch, who can get beyond in that old school left wing away. I just think you'd like to have that in your front three just to open up the park. And then, of course, he's got an eye for goal. I'd love to see Greg Goodman in that team and getting close to even a starting spot, considering how comfortable he is here in Australia. Um, the other one is Jake Brimmer, I guess. If you look for maybe a bolter from the A-League, is he someone you think, Amy, that, Look, it's a tough ask to make the squad, but if there's anyone in the local competition that's done enough to catch Graham Arnold's eye, I wonder if he's the one to jump up. Yeah, that's a that's a great shout. I think he's been excellent uh, this season. We had him on the pod recently, and he's definitely in form. I do think there is an opportunity in that central midfielder space as well. We saw Jimmy Jago get a chance. He played super well last time he was called upon. But for me, I still 
really think Connor Metcalf is class. And I know he's young, but I think he's not far off the pace. Good call. And then you've got the likes of, we've mentioned Oli Bosnich before, bring something different though. Like he's a little bit more of a, a true kind of holding midfielder as, as opposed to that real running. Um, James Holland as well, does he get called back in? He's not far off the pace. So I think there's opportunities in that space. But for me, obviously the probably two of the most talked about players overseas right now, Cammy Devlin and Wiley McGree. Do they get the call up, Garvey? Oh, I, I think Riley will. I think Cammy Devlin will as well. Um, yeah, I do. I think I think Cam Devlin's done enough. I think he should be in the squad. I think when you're playing that well in a league over there in Europe, um, just the energy he'd bring into the camp, the confidence, you know, he's, he'd have a bit about him now after what he's been doing over there. And he's a, he's a great kid. His personality in the squad right now and his his confidence, I think, would make a big difference. So I'd be surprised if Cam Devlin isn't selected. Um, I'm not saying he's going to start or anything like that, but I'd like to see him in the squad to freshen things up a little bit and say to some others, well, he's going really well over in Europe. Um, the results have slipped a little bit. I'm bringing him into the fold and, you know, look over your shoulder for a spot because he's going really well at the minute. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him in there. So, yeah, Jake Brim, I mean, look, is he a the true defensive midfielder six? No, but he's a playmaker six. Um, maybe in the home game, you can look to bring him in the fold to give you something in that area. That doesn't mean he's going to start. Very hard to do so. But, yeah, he's one, you know, they're playing in Melbourne. That's his backyard. He plays on that pitch every second week. Maybe he's an option. Um, that's an interesting one to watch, that's for sure. And Riley McGree, we spoke last week about him going to Celtic, Amy, and uh, it didn't quite work out. But uh, saying no to Ange isn't an easy thing to do. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a journalist, whether you're the team manager, whether you're the water boy, and certainly as a player, it's not an easy thing to say to say no to Ange Postacoglu, especially with the aura he's got about him at the moment. So I dare say it was a very good offer from the borough. Oh, I think it must have been, and we gave that a lot of airtime last week, didn't we? And I think Ange seemed almost, you know, it's hard to read between the lines with these, these you know, um, newspaper articles and things that you read, but you could see, I think he really wanted to take him under his wing there, and maybe he will in time, but right now that was clearly what was best for Riley, and I'm sure um, I'm sure his bank account will, will get the benefits of that as well. Yeah, it's not just his bank account, though. I mean, look, I'm sure that's a part of it, as it is for every person in, in every job that they do um but they're, they're a promotion chance in the premier league you know they get promoted you cannot argue with that call one bit if they don't take the money aside then maybe you start questioning hey was that the best decision as opposed to going to play for Ange postacoglu at a maybe not in a bigger league but at a bigger club where you've got this aussie who can really get the best out of you who knows you so well has so much faith in you you go to the championship you miss out on promotion maybe a manager leaves it can get very tumultuous in that space. Whereas under Andrew would be a bit more settled for two or three years at a crucial part in his career. So yeah, a lot of it depends, I think, on whether they make the playoffs and give promotion a big shake. If they do that, well, you can't argue too much. Yeah, and there's probably a school of thought for Riley as well. Like he's grown up playing in Australia. So to then go to Europe and then play under an Australian coach, although Ange is incredibly highly regarded, particularly by us in Australia, but you can see where and also a lot of people see that the Scottish league is a bit of a sidestep. So if you leave yeah. one to come back to the other. So I, I'm with you on that. He's obviously um, had a good think about what's best for him right now. But the main thing is he, he's in good form and he's clearly got a lot of confidence and people are really starting to notice him. And the other aspect is he's already done well in the championship. So better the devil you know, they say. Um, and he's played there already and he's performed. So maybe he thinks that that environment, the way I'm going right now, my form, my confidence, rather than adjusting to a new one, Let's just keep riding this wave. 
it's a big one to watch because they're a very big club who have been good to Australians over the journey and um, he's not too far off the Premier League. Both him and Harry Suter, their teams are, I think, seventh and eighth in the championship at the time of speaking. So hopefully they can get through and we can get some Aussies on the biggest stage in uh, in world football. Amy Chapman, thanks so much for joining us. Um, really been good to have you on the A-League's official podcast as per usual this week. Two great guests, lots of big discussion point. We hope you enjoyed it. Chappers, thanks so much. Thanks, Garby. Lots of good football coming up. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. Pull up on a minute, look nice. Look nice. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. Yeah, we look nice, future looking nice, we don't need to tell them twice. Here comes the future. Yeah, we look nice, future looking real nice, we don't need to tell them twice. Here comes the future.